Just a Couple Dudes podcast. We are live for episode 21, and we are going to have uh, a guest on, D. McCormick. He wrote the book, Tea Time with the Reaper, and basically right now we're just waiting for him to get called in. So I'm one of your hosts, Eric Flatiger. And I'm excited for this one, and uh, the person excited is Anthony Cole. And then there's Frank, Frank Lewandowski over here, the third wheel, I call it. <laughs> third wheel on it today oh man so i'm really i'm super excited for this and looks like we got d mccormick in we're just waiting on him to uh go ahead and click that call button in the upper right if you can see it there um yeah man we're excited for today there you go now up at the top of your screen you should see a thing where you can call in you see that d these ask yep yeah it'll it'll come up soon connected gentlemen Oh, there you are. We can hear. Wonderful. Look at that. Technology does work. It does work, man. I know. know. All right. We're just going to get, I'm going to get you turned up a little bit in our ear, but uh, what's up, man? Thank uh, We First of all, I just want to say thank you for, for coming on. I know we reached out over Instagram. Um, I actually originally found you actually through, I think it was Chris Bell. He had posted about an episode that he had done with you. And I saw, I went to your website and I read what it was about and the book you wrote, Tea Time with the Reaper. And it's just such a powerful story. Well, you know, my thanks to you guys in that this is not a, a topic most people want to talk about or, or even when they're presented with it, will do their best to run in the other direction. So kudos to you guys for having me on. Yeah, man. And uh, one thing that really intrigued me about your book actually is... Um, there's this guy, Rob Bell. He has this podcast called The Robcast. And he had a guest on maybe two years ago. And it was all about death, dying, and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, like, wow, this is a really weird topic. And I listened to him talk about confronting death. We're all going to die. Just all, it was all about death and dying. And from that moment, it really put the seed of that, like, in my head. You know what I mean? Like, wow, you re- like, we're all confronted with that. Yeah, and, you know... <laughs> The irony about it is that it is far from a new topic. We've been, as human beings, we've faced this from the very beginning. But I think what's happened over the last number of decades, centuries, and so on, is that because life has become relatively comfortable and relatively easy for so many, the reality of death is is kind of pushed away. It's pushed off the radar. So when it happens, people are totally uh, unprepared. Yeah, and I, I want to argue that it's the ultimate question, right? What happens when you die? And people have way different views on it and ways to cope with it. Most people just kind of go do to do day to day, but it is in everyone's mind, whether it's filed in a cabinet in the back of your mind or not. You know what's even interesting about that is like a lot of people think, you know, of heaven and stuff like that. So it's like they want to just skip the death part. They'll really, really think about like the life after death. You know, it's like they really don't even prepare for even that like death part as well. So I will say listening to your stuff, it really I've seen just because I'm a nurse and I've worked in the ICU for probably about five years. And so I've seen a lot of death. Um, um but I, I just had a, it's still listening to your stuff. It still changed my perspective on death for sure. You know, it's, it's as much the, uh, the message as the medium, you know, uh, the one thing that I have come to, to notice about this particular topic, uh, having been involved in it in the last couple of years is that 
most people take the very soft-handed rainbows and unicorns, uh, let's hold hands, kumbaya kind of approach. Mm-hmm. And what's well, easier? Well, it is in the moment, but I, I guarantee it doesn't help long term. Mm-hmm. So it, it it may work for that person who is, let's say, dying, but death is more than that. That's just the beginning for everyone left behind. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, because there's such a lack of discussion about everything that falls underneath that umbrella of death, all the different deaths, all the different circumstances, all the different people affected, because none of it gets talked about. I think a lot of people are lost when they face it. And a lot of people are lost after their, their loved one is gone. You know, we were talking before we recorded about nutrition a little bit. Now, what's interesting is if you eat something mm-hmm. for, a, for a long enough period of time, you get a general sense as to what the outcome is. And then mm-hmm. you can readjust. We don't really have that kind of luxury when it comes to our own mortality in that we don't, most of the time, do not control when we die. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Which puts <laughs> the idea of worrying about, you know, a heaven and hell, if there even is such a thing, to, to think about that. Meanwhile, we have no control over the journey getting there. Yeah, man, that's one thing I always think about a lot of, not so much as death, but is time. So we always mm-hmm. think about time like we just got it. We live like we have abundance amounts of time and really the reality is you i mean it's no one knows how much time you have yeah it could it could legitimately be a day a week a month 10 years you you really have no idea Mm -hmm. and how you perceive that time will change depending on your environment circumstances you know when i there's that the the theory that time is relative and it is 100 percent because it's a matter of perception you know i can tell you uh, watching Angela die was the worst four hours of my existence, but it feels in my brain that it lasted an entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that, there's like that accordion effect with it that depending on what you're experiencing, you could be on a roller coaster and it's a minute, but it could feel like an hour. You know, there's all those, those variables. So it's people thinking that they have you know, all these years to, to plan a future and, and follow the program of, of life, uh, watching what happened to my parents changed that for me. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I uh, think you know, that's just another example. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I feel like we, to give the justice of like, cause it obviously was like the worst thing you've gone through when you watched Angela die. I think, you know, I think you've said that many times. Um, and then there afterwards, you know, dealing with that afterwards. But I think to give the magnitude of like how much it affected you, I feel like we should hear a little bit more about Angela, you know? Um, Absolutely. Um, tea time with the Reaper was, you know, I never had ever wanted to write a book or, or put myself out into the, the media. That's just not who I am. But, you know, we spent, nine years and four months together. That was from the moment we met to the moment she died. Uh, everything in between and the after the immediate aftermath is what's chronicled in the book. Now, 
when people are get familiar with the story, whether they read the book or they listen to the first episode of the podcast, they usually come away with one of three things in that either A, we shared a love story that seems very unreal, almost like an urban myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some people come away with how absolutely, and I, I'm guessing I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Yeah, yeah go for uh, it. <laughs> how absolute, <laughs> absolutely fucked our, our healthcare system is. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and then the third part being the, just our mortality uh, as a whole. So speaking to Angela, you know, we met on August 22nd, 2008. We had our first date. Uh, less than a week later, and then t- two days after that, we had our second date, and I never left. I basically moved in on the second date. Yeah, I thought that was when you kind of when you <laughs> that's, ballsy, that's for sure. Yeah, that's a bold move. When you chronicled, you met, then you moved in, and then it was you were you know engaged, then married by Elvis in Vegas, and you yep. kind of went through that. I was like. You're right. And then you're like, what are the odds we don't get this? What are the odds that these people don't break up? You know, it's, it really is one of those relationships where you're like, damn, talk about one in a million. Yeah. For yeah. Real. Like you, you meet, you meet in a dive bar in Venice, California, yeah. in August, you get engaged in October and married in December. God. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? And that, I wanted to bring this up. I got your book out right now. And this is one line, the motto, Angela's motto that stuck out to me so well and it really speaks to her what it seems like her with you is uh i want what i want when i want it and clearly that applies to to you to like how she must have felt about you you know correct and that's awesome like i just love that and it was that theme throughout the book and you when you would say that i would remind her of her own motto it makes Mm -hmm. me think how many people need to hear that that voice in their head say that because they don't know how much time they have they don't know when they're going to die or not just when they're going to die but when their loved one someone that they cherish is going to die how many people aren't living the lifestyle of i want what i want when i want it mm-hmm. absolutely and 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 building on that you know that's how she that was her model that's how she lived her life so whether it was i want to do this job i want to have this car or i want to go on this experience whatever the case may be but I, I, one way I try to get people to think about that who may not have experienced uh, death hit them really close is I ask them to look at their hands and, and, and think of the 10 most important people that they have in their life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Then, then go back through and try and remember when the last time they told that person how important they were to them. Yeah. Because what oh. if that, that last time you saw them, that was the last time you will see them? What if they're gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's the thing I love is what you say is this isn't sunshine and rainbows is because people, I know people close to me, anytime these kinds of topics get brought up or people talk about cancer or something, they're like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't, it freaks me out. I'm like, maybe we should embrace that discomfort. Oh yeah, because it, it's actually going to bring us closer together rather than if we pretend it doesn't exist and then we just go about our lives literally living like we're never going to die. Correct. It makes you and it makes you appreciate one another more for yeah. sure because you know like how hard it's going to be when you're when you're thinking about their death. You're like God. I just it makes so it, it forces you to really focus on your appreciation of that person. I definitely agree. 
it, it definitely helps you live in the moment. And it's, it's funny because, you know, over the last handful of years, I've had a number of, of conversations with people about the topic and they, they say the same thing. They say, you know, it's really uncomfortable. Uh, I don't want to imagine so-and-so is dying, blah, blah, blah. And I get that. I really do. But if you think this is uncomfortable, that this gives you the willies now, just fucking wait until you can't have this conversation. Mm. Just, just wait until that person is dead and you are left with questions that will never be answered. Yeah. Gosh. Well, I think that you, when you address it up front, right, it's harder initially, but like you said, it's a lot better long-term. So you're going to avoid emotions like guilt, shame, regret, resentment, you know, things that last a long time and bother people for many, many years after. If you treat everyone really good day to day, you know, you can have a little bit of like, relief, I think, right? Because you're not going to hate on yourself as much for how you treated people or held on to things. Correct. Um, referencing uh, episode nine of the podcast that we had uh, my brother Archie on, uh, and his story is, in my opinion, far more tragic than Angela's in that, you know, he was married to his wife, Shelly. They were together for 20 plus years, two kids, house, jobs, you know, they had that stereotypical, perfect, you know, life. Uh, and then she was walking across the street and got mowed down by someone not paying attention. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And, and, and she was taken and he didn't have the opportunity to ask all of the questions to her that I was able to ask to Angela while Angela was dying. Gosh. And how, how is Archie doing today? Well, Archie just passed the, I believe, six-year anniversary of, uh, of Shelly's death. And if you listen to the podcast, which we recorded here uh, in L.A. in uh, the summer, you hear him breaking down. You hear him crying. Like, he is still very, very emotional about the topic. Now, mm -hmm. his business is running well. He's got two fantastic kids. You know, he is is living his life as best he can considering the experience that he had. But as he and I will always talk about, you don't get over stuff like this. Mm -hmm. that it, it, it never leaves. Um, and that's one of the topics I included in the second book called Grimm's After Tea Desserts, which kind of expands upon the podcast and expands upon the aftermath of those who are left behind, what they have to face, which I think we could manage and mitigate much better if we had these conversations up front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause you're never, you're never fully prepared. I, that's, that's not possible. I think you'd agree with Correct. that, but you can yeah. definitely do a lot better than living under the, you know, throwing everything under the rug and living yeah. in the dark, which is how most people live their life. You know, and that's what the society has created, right? We're not in gladiator times where, you know, you didn't know if you're, we used to watch death up front, you know, and, and, mm -hmm. and just go eat a sandwich after. Now I'm in the hospital. I'm a nurse practitioner. We have Anthony as a nurse. You know, we're going to talk about the healthcare aspect for sure and, and the struggles there. But we also see a different aspect where the family does not know how they're keeping people alive, and the healthcare yeah. workers are having the opposite reaction you did, where it was like, you wish the healthcare workers were more transparent for you. But we see it where I can't believe these people aren't on hospice up front. You know, people don't oh, yeah. realize how sick people are. 
a hundred, a hundred percent. And it's funny, whether it's, let's take the healthcare system or what somebody, a lot of people like to talk about these days is politics. The blame for things not going right always has to come down to the people. Mm-hmm. This, the healthcare system is the way it is because the populace, civilians, what have you, they have allowed it to happen that way. You know, it's real. That's what it really boils down to. So while I personally may have had some mm, unpleasant words with certain people, sometimes because of how they conducted themselves personally, but also because of the system. But I knew it, the system wasn't them as an individual. It was the whole ball of wax. It's how this thing has been allowed to evolve the way it has all because we as human beings in the first world are so disconnected from death. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the fact that, for example, dying with dignity is still something people battle with. It, oh yeah, it totally is. I, I think like, I know people close to me and I've had conversations like people in my family who feel like, but why wouldn't you, if you're not fighting until that last moment or second, you know, it's not like you're not trying. And I think that might be, you know, because people are struggling so hard, just they can't fathom not existing anymore. Whereas mm-hmm. the, like what you put in your book and what you talked about in your podcast is like, you know, you can't, you don't want to go out. If that last month is just going to be pure, painful, disgusting hell, you might as, you should be able to choose when you go out and not on those terms, but on your own. Exactly. And you know, I, when having discussions with people, I try to bring analogies outside of the, the topic to kind of highlight where people may not have thought about things uh, from different perspectives in that, let's say you are a champion athlete or better yet, a championship boxer or mixed martial artist. Mm-hmm. Do you want to retire as the champ or do you want to retire as a chump? Ooh, do you want so to be the guy who, who won the Michael belt? Jordan. Yeah. Michael Jordan in 98. That's it. Go out. Yeah. yeah. Go out with the asterisks. He was the champ, but then he got his ass kicked by a dozen other guys before he was, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, I think you had said that too when I was listening. It's in your book and when you're reading from it, which I would well, recommend anyone who's listening to this right now. Go listen to your, you know, Tea Time with the Reaper first episode where you, uh, you know, Derek reads the book because it's so good. It's so amazing. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyways, what I was going to say is, you know, you said you're like, I'm with you no matter what. If you want to go out on your fucking shield, let's do it. You know, and I, I just there's so much power in that. We as, as, as sentient beings should have control of our destiny as much as possible. And for a system to take that away and force people to suffer when they don't need to is it's just asinine. There's no upside other than profit. But again, that's focusing solely on the, on the healthcare part. Meanwhile, the blame really falls on society's general uh, belief of dying. You know, whether, you know, obviously religion becomes a component of many of these conversations. And, you know, my retort to that is if there was a devil, I would have made a deal. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I seriously. Like wow. I like that. 
Or you, you know, even tried, right? You know, it's like, I'm sure every person, even not religious, has tried to pray when they are in yeah. desperate times. Like you try, right? You tried everything you freaking could and it still ended in not the way you wanted and you would have gave everything, right? You would have done anything uh, exactly. to, to have a different outcome. Something I did research though, because I, I figured you'd be passionate about it, was the Death with Dignity Acts. Um, mm -hmm. I cannot believe that it isn't in our own right to choose how we die. And I cannot believe that we have to take a gun and put it at the back of our mouth and hope to God you hit your spinal cord. You know, it's yeah. like, it's ridiculous. Or, you know, the, the hidden stories of people overdosing, you know, in different ways, right? Because they, they're in so much pain, like ALS, right? Who wants yep. to die with a, you know, a tube down your neck and you can't move and you die with your mind still alive, but your body dead. You know, it's like, and there's eight states now that mm -hmm. are approved. So much better than just Oregon was. Yeah, I've got eight states, Cali, Colorado, D.C., Hawaii, Maine, New Jersey, Oregon, Vermont, Washington, and Montana is kind of like, I don't know, there's some, something going on there in Arizona might be on the thing. I just, I can't even understand the argument against it. Like, what is the argument against that? Well, I, I think from, from uh, again, just from my own personal experience, and my opinion is my opinion, it's worth two cents with a two cent coupon. Like it's, it's <laughs> and that's what we always food. say on our show, man. We got, we say stuff and it's, and all it is, is our opinion. Yeah. But, you know, obviously there's the various religious organizations who have a hard time with the, the concept of self-determination of, of killing oneself. But on the other side of the coin, there's also the, the psychiatric angle, specifically, and then the financial angle. Now, I don't have the exact figures, but it, between us, I'm sure we would probably guess that a round of chemo could be, what, 5, 10, 15, 20,000 bucks, let's say, a decent amount of money. Yeah. yeah. Now, the cost for the drugs used in California to, to kill oneself through the, the dying with dignity it's about 200 bucks. Yeah, right. I can't imagine why the system isn't pushing one over the other. Now, yeah, as, far as, exactly. as far as California is concerned, it's my understanding that part of that legislation indicates that no physician is legally obligated to write that prescription. Yes, but there's, you, I think it's two, you have to have two physicians independently agree, correct? To make sure that but, you're, I think you're... But it, that doesn't even that your primary caregiver doesn't have to bring it up, does not have to sign it. So imagine that you are you have your terminal from whatever reason. Mm -hmm. You have all this stuff going through your head, all these things on your plate that you want to resolve to try to make uh, your departure as as smooth and comfortable both for yourself, but also your loved ones. Now you have to go shopping for other doctors. Oh. To agree. Yeah, I, I get that. I agree. Um, I do think, I mean, just based on medical and the kind of people that go into medicine, I would think there would be quite a few that would. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking politically and who I know. Most medical, especially doctors, physicians, and providers, like they're they're usually more, I don't know, left leaning. I, I'm not a big politics fan, but I'm just saying, like, I think there would be quite enough, don't you think, or no? I would err in the other direction, both on what I saw with Angela and what I have seen since. Okay. So based on the oncologists and the surgeons that you dealt with and stuff like that, you, you think they would not be kind of for that is what you're saying? It wasn't even brought up as an option for her. 
Ah, see, that's wild. God, that's that's crazy. See, that's what, you know, and they always, you just, you see it in movies at least and stuff. I'm not from the medical world at all, but you think people would be like, well, let's look at all your options, you Mm -hmm. know, and they would list everything out for you. Yeah. And then you get the choice. Yeah. That's how it should be. You would think, but again, if you have a customer base who is so afraid of option D, we'll use D for death. They're, once, the, once those physicians, even though everybody in the room knows it, that white elephant's there, and the physician stops at C, there's not a lot of people going to say, oh, what about D? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, man, it's scary. That's why I feel like, yeah, they just want to – it's like that unwritten rule or something that they don't want to be the one to, to sign off on it. You know, They don't want their name attached to it. Exactly, which is why, particularly in Europe, there's a lot of uh, dying with dignity travel and certain people, like people from certain countries will go to a neighboring country in the EU, for example, because they actually have clinics where you go in to die. Wow. Because their home countries won't allow that. Yeah, that's the crazy thing, man. Over in Europe, you hear stuff like that. Like you hear that. And same thing with, uh, I think, drugs, you know, places where drugs are 100% legalized, but but they're, you know, you go somewhere to either get it and it's like, they seem to have really good results from that kind of stuff. But for, you know, kind of circling back to the, the overall topic of death for myself when speaking with people, I really try to get them to start thinking of death as the North star of using that and reverse engineering their choices based on that. You know, if you have somebody who's going through life and they, they, they graduate from high school, they go to college, they become, a, have a career, they meet somebody they get married, they have kids, all these things. And they, you know, build a life so that at some point when they retire, they can then travel. Well, yeah. What happens if, 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 if you die somewhere along that timeline, why are you maybe in a job that you hate, but you're in that job so you can afford to do these other things? All because you think this is what life is supposed to be. This is what I've told that the program is, so I'm just going to follow it thinking that I have a guaranteed 80 or 90 years on this little, little rock in the sky. So, so yeah, so I was going to say, what do, you say to, what do you say to someone to help them truly prepare to re- reverse engineer it? Like if you're sitting in front of somebody, what is it that you say? necessarily how do you walk them through that like for because obviously most people don't think about that you know so they just they can listen to any of the episodes of the podcast because each one of them Uh is one example another example where this doesn't happen you know one of the not the first but one of the the prominent uh say impacts i've had in my own life with death is my parents that Mm -hmm. scenario i just i just uh painted is basically them you know, they oh, met, wow. they got married, they popped out two kids, dad worked his ass off, mom was the homemaker, everything was cool, kids were out of the house, he had a couple more years to retirement, then they were going to travel and, you know, go off into the sunset. Yeah, and you know, that's the, the problem with that too, is that we, when you are programmed to think that's what life is, there's people who don't, that doesn't happen for them, like, they don't li- get to live the 50-year marriage with the kids grown up and all that and the retirement. You know, they, they lose their loved one, you know, in the same sense that maybe you experience. And then they think, well, why is this happening to me? There must be, you know, all these questions come up. And it's like maybe if you reverse engineered it and you were focused on 
knowing that death is going to be a part of your life, knowing you don't, you may not have tomorrow, really living your life. I mean, it, you know, it's cliche to say live your life to the fullest, but literally living your life with that. I want what I want when I want it, you know, mentality. You might not think like, why me when that happens, you know? Absolutely. You're prepared. I mean, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and with my parents' example, guess who got sick? Guess who slowly deteriorated over a 10-year span, totally kiboshing their, their grand scheme, their grand plan? My mom. Oh, yeah. Pri- prim- primary progressive MS took her out. Oh. And, it was, uh, and it was ugly. And a few years after that, my dad died of a heart attack. You know? And it wasn't because of any other reason than he was broken because the only person who mattered to him was gone. That's it. I, I have a so, question. So if they, um, let's say they were here and they had to come back, do you think, and you and your parents would live a different way knowing that they weren't going to live as long or into the sunset? What do you think they would have done differently? Well, it's interesting you ask that question because after my mother died, I had a, a number of conversations with my father and I told him, look, if you want to go snort cocaine off a hooker's ass in Mexico, <laughs> Mazel tov. Yeah, don't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah do it, man. Yeah. Go try and enjoy life. You have friends all over the world. Go fucking visit them. Do not sit on the couch, watch shitty fucking TV, and rot away. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, because it's a disservice to life, you know? Yeah, it's a disservice yeah. to yourself to not yeah. be doing what you truly want to be doing. Yeah. You know, it's you're, you're spent, and maybe it's you spend time with these friends that you really don't even like. They're really kind of a bad influence on you, too, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you knew that you only had a week to live, you wouldn't spend time with them, you know? Well, you, and, yeah. Angela had 137 days from the moment they told her she was terminal to when she died. And you guys, knowing the story, know how fucking horrific those 137 days became. God, yeah, they were. God, yeah, man. And, uh, I, and honestly, I want to say this. Yeah, I am sorry that you went through that. I mean, that's just it is. I mean, I know it doesn't help at all, you know. But that is just as someone, I've experienced some death, but that's that's hard. You know, I just the the fact it, that it, knowing someone hey, went through that. Every every death is different. There's so many different variables and timelines and all those things and. I hope that that doesn't happen for people. I hope that they just, you know, quote unquote, pass peacefully in their sleep. But the, but the fact of the matter is that is not likely. There are far more other scenarios and all of them, almost all of them will happen on a timeline that doesn't suit most people's schedules. Mm-hmm. So the just understanding that, people who matter to you may not be here tomorrow should ins- not scare you, but should actually inspire you to live the, I want what I want when I want life mm-hmm. to have some fucking, have some purpose and not just, you know, waste time. Cause you're not getting those, getting any of that time back. It's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. That, yeah, that's exactly. I think time, you know, people chase, you know, cars, houses, money, silly shit like that. And what, I think what they really don't focus on is the intrinsic and time. Like any, any time you have that is like, there's literally no amount of money that can just give you that kind of time, you know? Well, how did it turn out for Steve jobs? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, anyways, I was gonna bring up his diet. He was a fruitarian. I thought that was 
ridiculous. But anyways, (laughs) he was a fruitarian. He fed his pancreatic cancer, but he did die. And that was really sad. A genius that talks about living his life the way he did, which I think, you know, he didn't think he was going to perish that early, but I think he he did have a really famous speech about, you know, doing the job you love. And I think he, he did do that definitely more than the average person. Yeah. But he had millions upon millions. I mean, nothing can save you. If your time's coming, nothing can save you. So make those choices that work for you. Stop worrying about what other people think. Stop worrying about what the program says. Do you be as happy as you can and know that Grimm is right around the fucking corner? Yeah, it is. I mean, don't be surprised when I show up. Like, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And that, that reminds me of, so I, I took a, some notes and stuff and there was a quote from your book, um, that stood out to me. I have, I have some, this is Eric uh, speaking. I have some more of the more emotional questions, I guess. But one of them was you wrote, she accepted that she was going to die and die soon. So she accepted that. And I was just curious. I'm like, you, you put that down. So it must've had an impact on you. Did you accept it as well? Or did she accept it first? How did that, how did that dynamic kind of play out? Well, to add a little context to that and to maybe why I did what I did through our whole time together, Angela's mother died of cancer when she was in high school. Okay. Angela, Angela was kind of her primary caregiver. Now, I learned of this on our first date because on our first full date, uh, you know, we went to go see the bodies exhibit as a, you know, chronicle in the book, which I thought was a great thing to do. Some people think it's crazy, but whatever. Uh, yeah. we went to, I did too. That was yeah. funny, man. Oh, yeah. Then we went to go grab a bite to eat and drink, and we just chatted for hours. And she told me that her mother died of cancer. And it was in that moment that I'm like, okay, if this progresses, if we become a, a partnership, become a couple, I know that that is not only possible, but a likely outcome for this woman. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, because so you, you thought about the genetics and thought about the family history and just thought, you know, it's a high probability. Yeah. From day one. Wow. So when it happened, it wasn't that I was necessarily shocked. I was fucking pissed, but I was, oh, yeah. you know, I, I had prepared myself for seven, eight, nine years to, understand that that was going to happen and that stems from watching what happened with my parents knowing that every time i got a phone call from you know from that uh, that part of the world i'm like okay this is the call where so-and-so is dead gosh yeah um yeah my only real experience with that is uh, one of my best friends um name's jeff he his mom had was diagnosed with breast cancer and, you know, she went through everything. They were super upbeat. You know, she went through all the treatments, this and that. And her story can also speak to just how screwed up the healthcare system really is, is because uh, very shortly after she had a, a successful surgery and they told her she was in remission, something like that. Um, I won't put out too much of the detail, but she wound up actually, um, I think it was she had gotten sick and she had broken her hip. And then it was like downhill from there that, you know, she went to the hospital. They told her she had advanced cancer all it was in her bones it was in her lungs Mm -hmm. it was all over and then all of a sudden it was not long after that i get the phone call and it almost just seemed like instantly like wait dude i remember like i felt like it was a month or two ago you told me she beat it you know basically and i just got a phone call as she passed away like how the hell does that happen 
Well, that sounds eerily reminiscent of a number of stories I've heard, as well as Angela's. Yeah. And I think if there's, there's a couple things to unpack with that. First, I think a lot of people who have had no experience, uh, say, with cancer need to understand that cancer is not cancer is not cancer. That's like saying I was in a car accident that was a fender bender versus I was in a car accident where I flipped my car five times. Yeah. 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 There, this, that's just one word that kind of spreads over a, a multitude of, of different outcomes. Now, as far as cancer goes, specifically breast cancer, it's my own belief that when they attempt to do their treatments, their chemos and their radiations in lieu of immediate surgery, I believe that's a, a, a giant fucking mistake. Oh, um, I truly do. Because if for myself, if let's say reverse it, if I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, my first thing would be chop those fuckers off. Done. It's gone. Yeah. I don't, I don't need them. If yeah. it's my leg, if it's my leg, take my leg. The longer that is allowed to, in my opinion, and I'm not an oncologist or a doctor or, or anybody, but I can't count the number of times I've heard stories where it starts in the breast and then it goes to the lungs or it goes to the liver or it goes to the bones you know, Why I think, are we allowing it to have that opportunity? And there's also the people, uh, just to finish this point, there are the people who believe that the radiation actually has a, an ability to push things. Yeah, I've heard. Push, uh, it, push it from the breast to the lung. Yep. I've heard people say that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the cancer that kills a lot of people. It's, it's the treatment and the drugs. Well, as you read in the book and, and yeah. listening to that first episode, I don't actually think it's the cancer that killed Angela. I'm the one who killed her. Yeah, you did make that point in the book. That was actually, I was listening to that. I actually replayed that mm -hmm. maybe three times over and just tried to really understand the magnitude of that. And then I'll, not only when you said that, but then you followed it up with, I think you're like, I got that bounced around in my head. And people say time will heal. Like, yeah, like kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah, seriously though. Yeah, that was fucking rough. But it's, but it's yeah, really, but it's, it's hard, but it's like, you know what? That's the reality for a lot of people. Yep. And, and again, it, when this part of the conversation comes up, discussing with people, I ask them, if you are the one standing in the hospital room and you are looking at your loved one suffering, and are you capable, are you willing to go and pull that plug? Are you willing to be the person who gives them that fatal dose? Because if you're not, and I have, I have nothing against you. But you need to know that. And furthermore, you need to tell your loved one that because they may need someone who can. Yeah. And they need to they need to have that arranged before they're in that situation. How do you how do you think culturally we can change? Because America has come so far in such a bizarre <laughs> aspect. I mean, just think about something simple like Disney movies. You know, we think about animals in such a weird way. Like, you know, we think yeah, of we bear, think we think of the poo, yeah. and that thing will rip your yep. face off. You know, death is yep. real. Well, just think about how animals die in the wild. You just think about that. Like, people don't like hunters, and you're like, yeah, but this animal would either get horribly sick and die or get eviscerated by wolves. So yeah, we're, we're, 
where do you think your big back came from, motherfucker? Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was for, um, you know, listening to your story too made me think about like my perspective on death. And then uh, I've hunted before. And I remember the first time I, I went duck hunting actually. And uh, when I shot the duck, it kind of, it just more wounded it. Right. And I'm almost kind of glad that this is how my first like kill was when I went hunting. So when I would get over to the duck, I mean, that thing was still alive and it was struggling. And of course you're not going to just blast that thing away with a shotgun. So, I mean, I had to grab that thing by the neck and while this thing is still alive and wring its neck. So I had to be yeah. like, I had to come with and accept like, I am personally taking the life of something yeah, like, yeah. so if I'm going to be okay with hunting, I can't be so distant, you know, where I'm just shooting <laughs> it and I don't see it actually die and suffer. It's like my first time that I saw death and I killed something like I had to do it with my bare hands. And it was like, you know, then I had to accept like, am I okay with this? Like, you know, and of course, you know, I, I eat meat and I'm, I still hunt, you know, I haven't actually, I haven't hunted in like, uh, just over about two years, but, um, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing to tackle. You really do. Like you said, it's better to prepare because it's going to happen, you know, and it's Absolutely. bad and it's ugly. It's ugly. There's well, it's nothing pretty about it. It's the same thing when people get puppies. We love mm -hmm. puppies. We're obsessed with dogs and puppies and we don't want to ever think the puppy's going to get old and die, you know, and, and even just from a super small experience of my own, I remember one of my dogs had gotten sick and she wasn't even old yet. She was in like five or six and, uh, you know, you go over to the, take her to the vet. They're like, nothing we can do unless you spend $10,000 on crazy stuff. We're like, yeah, it's not happening. And they're like, okay, well, let us know when you're ready and then we'll put her to sleep. Mm -hmm. Just that experience alone and being like, I'm holding this dog in my arms and you're like, when I'm ready, you'll put her to sleep. And you, my first thought almost felt like, can you just tell me like in five minutes we're putting her to sleep? Because if you tell me when I'm ready, holy shit, now all of a sudden I don't know if I'm ready. Yeah, you had to pull the trigger. And that's just a dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's be clear that there's a lot of people, myself included, who prefer dogs over a lot of other human beings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so, true. That yeah. is true, man. Um, but as, as to your question as to how do we change this, you know, I, I joke in, in many of the appearances uh, that I've been on, you know, other podcasts, and I, I say that I was raised by comic books and movies. A lot of, you know, kind of my own beliefs and the way I approach things stems from what I learned in those medias. So while people in the past may have had poetry or paintings, I had comic books and movies. You know, the first comic book I ever read was a graphic novel called God Loves Man Kills. And it opens with a, uh, a scene in a playground where two young children get murdered. So how do we get people to start thinking differently? Uh, you know, I'm going to quote John Doe and say that we have to hit them over the head with a sledgehammer. We, you know, you can tap somebody on the shoulder all day and they just do not pay attention. They just do not wake up. Uh, so maybe subtlety is not how we should be handling the most important aspect of, of our existence in our society is, is death and, and everything that stems from it. You know, healthcare, imagine, and I'm sure there's going to be some pro-lifers or religious folks who will want me on a cross for this, but imagine if everyone who is really ill, whether it be elderly or, or non-elderly, people who are terminal and they're just sitting there watching the, the hourglass go down. What if they were of the belief and had the ability to say, you know what, I'm done, peace out. I'm going to have this little glass of Kool-Aid 
and I'm going to go to sleep and I'm going to be done. Imagine the amount of, of suffering that would be saved for them and their families. Imagine the amount of resources that would be saved by not keeping these people who they're dead. Their body just hasn't caught up. Like we're just sitting here watching the clock tick down in, the, in those kind of situations. I think you know, if we were in a society like that, we would be able to take so much burden and pain out of the equation. Yeah, I think there's um, we're living in a fantasy world, right? Yep. And the toughest things are not addressed or thought about, and we don't talk about it. But it's it's like parents need to teach their kids, right? When grandma and grandpa die, I think the kids do not need to be shunned away. I think they need to actually see what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. We want to protect everyone, and that's not what you need. You need exposure because at yep. some point you're going to deal with that, whether it's a tragic uh, situation like what you dealt with, or even just you know your dad dies at 75. And uh, I can speak just from my I have two sides of the family. Um, mirrored images of the family and one reacts to death very differently. Like someone will die 85 and they are screaming and crying, right? They're just very emotional. The other side, uh, you know, I've lost like two ants of breast cancer at like 47. You know, my dad's had cancer. Like I'm, I'm going to get cancer. It's just going to happen. And like, they don't cry at all. So you just see like, I see like right and left, black and white, you know, red and blue, total different. And it's just different families that have these different cultures around it. And it's just bizarre to me. And I grew up with that and I was always baffled by it. It was weird. And I just know that exposure does help. Mm-hmm. Exposure, acceptance, and discussion. Oh, that's there really are, good. Obviously people die, relatives die, you know, friends die, coworkers die. We get it, you know, it happens to people. And then obviously the older you are, the more of it you're gonna be exposed. And that's just the math of it all. However, I can't, I can't even describe how many people I've spoken to who have never talked about their loved one, their, that person who's no longer here with anybody else. They don't talk about it oh, with, wow. their, with their partners, with their anybody, but they feel comfortable speaking to me about it because I am so brutally open about it because they know there won't be any judgment and they can say whatever they want or need to say, no matter how crazy it may be. Why the fuck are we not talking about it amongst ourselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, just, it, it boggles my mind. And it's the bit, one of the biggest reasons why we're in this fucking mess to begin with. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, exposure, I think is super important. Cause I mean, I know you're a big fitness guy too. Uh, and so think of it in that kind of aspect. It's like, if you don't ever work out or you're really severely out of shape, the thought of working out terrifies you thought of going to a gym terrifies you. Cause you're like, Oh, I can't lift weights. I'm, I'm out of shape. I don't know what to do. The more you expose yourself to it, the more you entrench yourself in it and do it, the more comfortable you become with it. It becomes familiar and that discomfort becomes very familiar with you and even though it's still uncomfortable you know it you know you wear it on you almost like a cologne you know what i mean like it's on you and and having that kind of exposure and like i said that podcast i had listened to a couple years ago i never really thought about it until i listened and it really made me think you know constantly kind of thinking about how much time i have with friends family loved ones and until you really have discussion about it until i read a book like yours you know, you're just going to feel too uncomfortable. You'll be afraid of it rather than embracing it. 
Yeah, and and to steal the line from my brother Arch when we were talking about uh, his wife Shelley, you have to talk about it. And just remember, it's only kinky the first time. Yeah, yeah that's right? so true. Like, it's only you kinky. Know, just, <laughs> kinky. <laughs> Rip that Band-Aid off, just spit those words out, and then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again. You're not going to be able to you know, get everything covered in one conversation. That's just highly unlikely. But if you sit down, and, and for most people, they're parents. You know, if, if, if you have parents in your life and they matter to you, you need to ask them simple things like what would they want for a service? What songs? What flowers? Who do they want there? Who do they not want there? Just start with stuff like that or, you know, just ask them about their parents' death. Hear about grandparents and great-grandparents and, and how they thought that was handled right or handled wrong. Just start with something mm-hmm. because if you don't, I... I promise it is going to make things worse down the road. Like you can get away with not working out. That's a choice. Mm-hmm. You have to understand why you made that choice, whether you prefer to be a fat bastard and unhealthy, or you would like to be a workout freak and you think a set of abs is the most important thing in the world. Hey, cool with whichever. I don't care. Just understand why you're making that choice. But we don't have a choice when it comes to death at this point. It's going to happen and usually not on our timeline. So be as, as open and prepared for that as possible. Because, you know, I had a conversation with somebody a number of months ago about suicide. Uh, and somebody I know sent me a text saying, what's your thoughts on suicide? Which obviously falls under this umbrella of death. And I replied with something along the lines of, well, for whatever you're dealing with, most, li- most likely it's over. Because obviously we don't know the whole afterlife thing, and that's just a total waste of time to discuss. But what's going to happen to the people left behind? What kind of mess will you leave them to deal with? Mm-hmm. And, and he said, well, it won't matter to me because I'll be dead. To which I replied, that's pretty fucking selfish. So that's selfish. Like you, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're using, this, using your death as an, as an out versus an end. You are trying to escape something instead of saying, you know, I've done everything I wanted to do. I'm, I'm good to go. There's a big difference there. And, and one of the things in the book, both in Tea Time with the Reaper, but also in Grimm's After Tea Desserts, is every death impacts people differently. And for myself, Angela's death really made me pay attention to words more. You know, you were mentioning your, the, your dog going to the vet and then be, you being told that, and he's not doing well, and eventually you're going to have to put him to sleep. Talk about the hunting, and you killed the duck. What's interesting is you didn't use the word pass away with either of those, but we mm-hmm. use pass with people. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is when you pass something, sometimes you can actually go back. You can circle around. You can pass yeah. them again. Mm-hmm. No, they're fucking dead. Yeah, they're, they're gone. 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 Mm-hmm. They, are, they are taken. And going back to the earlier question of society and what we can do, personally, I believe using the real and the most appropriate words is a huge first step. Saying yeah, someone passed is, 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 is soft and comfortable, but it doesn't 
have the appropriate impact. It doesn't honor them properly. Yeah, it completely downplays it. Exactly. It makes it palatable. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was telling my girlfriend this after I was, you know, we were talking about your book and uh, like when I listened to it as well, I was like, you know, I have so many bad habits just just from being around this culture about not wanting to say those things. And even in my promo for this, I had said that, you know, your wife had passed away and, and it's mm-hmm. so second nature to say that and to also say like, you know, when people say like, sorry for your loss, you know, and you mentioned you're like, I didn't lose her. You know, she was she was fucking taken. Like, I, I know that. You know, but those are, it's almost, it's so ingrained in our culture so that it's so ingrained in our speech and you have to like actively, be, you know, think about those things and not to not say that, to actually identify for what it is. Until you hear the cliche as the one who's left behind, they seem okay. They, they seem yeah. like a, a, a good way of trying to offer comfort, but that's only the message that's being sent when you get on the other side of it and it's the message you're receiving, you want to punch that person in the fucking mouth. Like for example, uh, about a day or two after Angela died, I received an email from a primary oncologist. Uh, this isn't in either book where she says, Angela, you know, fought harder than most. She went through more than most. I'm just happy that she, you know, she died peacefully. Oh, <laughs> what the she... fuck was peaceful about that? Yeah. <laughs> to which to which I replied, there was only <laughs> one person in the room when she died, and I would not use the word peaceful. Yeah. Wow. And that's putting it mild. Yeah. <laughs> but just because you want to say something to make you feel better, you need to understand that it actually might make that other people other person feel worse. Yeah, like you did describe it that it's about the person that says it, right? It's more about them and their feelings and an easy, it like lets them, I don't know, be feel more comfortable in the situation because it is, you quote unquote, kinky or very uncomfortable, right? Um, I could tell you just being around people, you know, you don't know what anyone's been through until someone will sit with you. But I think the main thing you can do, I, you know, I'll give an example. I had a nurse where uh, I was just sitting for lunch. Right. And then you'll find out a lot that way. I'm just sitting there in a bored day. And she's like, yeah, my son committed suicide. And he was like 19. And it was like two months ago. And that was our first shift back. I had no idea. But mm-hmm. I didn't say, I think I said, I'm sorry for your loss. I, maybe I said that. But I said, I said, I'm just, I'm sorry. But I just let her talk. You know, I asked yep. about them. You know, like, I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm going to bear any weight from this. Like, I didn't experience it. I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sorry you're dealing with it, but like, I want to allow you to speak about it. Cause that's a very nice, like good, probably good coping mechanism. Right. Cause you don't want to mm-hmm. say, I'm, I'm sorry for less. They're in a better place, but then just stop talking. Cause that's usually what happens. Right. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. The key yeah. is talking, I think, and be in allowing them to express it. For sure. Well, this, you know, this harkens back to one of the first lessons I learned as, as a sales guy back in the day, you have two eyes, two ears, one mouth. Use them appropriately. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I feel so, like I'm, yeah. So just shut the fuck up and let them talk. <laughs> give them, yeah. give them a, give them a hug, and just, you know, let them go when they want to go. Let them, you know, cry when they want to cry. Just be there and show them you care through actions, not through some regurgitated greeting card bullshit that does zero for them 
Yeah, it's like, you know, when my buddy gave me that call about his mom, I went, uh, as soon as I got off work, an hour later, I went straight over to his sister's where they were all at. And I remember thinking in my head over and over as I'm driving, like, what do I say? Should I say something? And then when the moment happened, he just walked up to me. I hugged him, embraced him, and he kind of just cried. And then I didn't say a word because I'm like, there's not a goddamn thing I could say. And there, and that's okay. And I think all he yeah. needs is comfort. Or not just comfort. He needs you know, we Someone to suffer to together, you know, yeah. you just want to hold, embrace somebody and that's about it. And what, like, what the hell could you say? You know, there, nothing. And, and that's the thing there isn't. And here, let's bridge that and take that a step further in that they need that now, but they need that in six months. They need that in a year. They need that in five years. The one interesting thing, if every story uh, I've had the, the honor of, of, uh, being told regarding someone dying is when it happens, everybody rushes in. All the cliches are going at you. All the greeting cards are coming. All the flowers are being delivered. And then a week, a month, six months, a year, and on and on, so much of that fades away. And it's not that people need to always be there every minute, of, you know, every moment. But they do need to understand that while they get to get back on their hamster wheel and get back to their normal life, that person who they say they care about can never go back. Yeah. So, I mean, you're forever changed and impacted. You know, uh, in, the, in that follow-up book I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the concept of healing is something a lot of people like to talk about after someone dies. And... Uh, personally, I don't believe that's possible. And I say that because when someone important to you dies, there's something gets taken. It's like there's a hole put into you that can never be filled. You can try to patch it up, you know, but it doesn't work. That hole is always going to be there. So instead of thinking about trying to heal it over and to get over it and to get past it, why not honor it, keep it there, and then try to strengthen everything around it? You know, if, if, we, if I cut my hand off, eh, I don't get to will that back. I don't get to heal from that. I need to make the rest of my body strong enough to continue on. And that's my choice. I don't necessarily have to, but that's the way it works. So, you know, the words people use in, in, when it comes to death, when it comes to grieving, I, I think we've gotten away from the honesty of it. We've gotten away from the, 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 the ugly truth of it, trying to make it nicer and softer for everybody, but that's been a giant disservice. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, you'd mentioned in your book, too, uh, about, you know, when people say time, you know, time heals all. Does it really? <laughs> because when you, when you think about that pain or that thing, it still hurts. You know, you could still feel it in your chest or in your gut. It doesn't heal. It just means exactly. there's, been, there's been a few months in between, you know, or a year. It, probably, it also yeah. gives you a false promise, right? Because then you're expected to someday wake up and be all cherry and feel great. And you're like, oh, I'm over it. Like, you're not ever over it. Like, what kind of love or what kind of caring is that, right? You should always think about that and have that memory. Yep. And imagine the, that false promise and the, and the feeling of failure that leaves with people. 
who, after a year or two years or however amount of magical time people think that they're supposed to, you know, get past it, and they don't. So then there's all that internalization, and then, in many cases, the self-medication. You know, when we were kind of pre-show going back and forth with notes, um, one of the things that was on the list was alternative medicines, especially for pain. And, you know, it's a tricky thing because where do you differentiate, you know, the medication for uh, trying to manage that almost invisible pain versus some physical pain? A lot of people, when it comes to, to death, they try to drown their feelings or bury their feelings under food or make them disappear with drugs or get into some other type of scenario to divert their attention and not actually be in it, not sit in it, not become engrossed in it to, to honor that person. They just try to run. Yeah. And, and I could say the medical community is at fault, right? Especially in the psychiatric community where, you know, now it's actually pushed in the DSM-5 that, I mean, you can, you can treat someone for depression related to death, but like you should be depressed, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's the normal <laughs> reaction. That's, that means you're a human being and you have a heart. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately we do sugarcoat things and over-medicate. Again, it goes both ways, right? You know, you get, a, you get five minutes with the patient and what option do you have? you know, you have a pill or no pill, or you, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully send them to therapy, right. Which can help someone that actually will let them listen and talk. But, um, yeah, and a lot of that, I, a lot of that I believe stems from the programming they received as they uh, grew up again, going back to, if you're a child and your parents made the decision to never show you the reality of death, walk you through what that means when you get into adulthood, and that happens, you're like, what the fuck is this? I wasn't told about this. You're, you're, completely, you're completely lost. So, you know, of course, you're going to latch on to anything that can take that, that uncomfortable, that discomfort, that pain away. And, but it doesn't deal with the actual root of the issue. It just band-aids it. So for all the people that, that have that challenge, it's on them, but it's also on the people who help make them. Yeah. I, w- I wanted to say too, when I listened to uh, your the different podcasts that you have done, and then also when you were on other people's podcasts, it made me, and it, like I told you before with me working in a, uh, a cardiovascular ICU, I see death a lot. And what it made me realize is like, we are all that I didn't even think about it till literally yesterday. We are all on this path of death. You know, we're all going to get there. One, two, our perception is constantly changing on our uh, how we view death, you know, because, you know, like how Eric talked about his dog dying, you know, and then, you know, as someone who has grown up eating meat, where then all of a sudden I had to kill the animal that I was going to eat, you know, then I was like, you know, I, I that kind of affected it. Then it was the first time that I'm doing chest compressions on someone and I'm, I'm feeling their ribs crack. You know, because I was the first one to begin chest compressions. And then the first time I was in a, in a code blue, uh, that, that patient did not survive. You know, you, you, you go in thinking, oh, I'm going to be a nurse and I'm going to save lives. You know, well, the first time I went in there, 
that person did not survive. <laughs> the, it, yep. They did not survive. And we did, Dead. you know, we, yeah, exactly. We tried everything. I'm sweating because I'm doing chest compressions, you know, but, you know, and what I, what I realized is like thinking about yourself dying and thinking about the people even you, you love, you know, the past, you know, dying, you know, I almost said passing away. You know, I just said it because I'd say yep. it to family members, you know, it's just, it is engraved in me, you know, um, you know, you realize that you can get better at it. Like how, if you want to be good at baseball, you practice it, right? Mm -hmm. You go and you practice it and you practice it. Well, what's one way to get better with handling death? Really yep. thinking of it, walking through it in your mind, talking mm -hmm. about it, like we're talking about it, talking about it with the people you love, you know, that person that you even think, you know, you're the last person on this earth I want to die, but it's going to happen, you know, and, and talking about it, preparing for it. I, I felt like I had never done that until I listened to, I never viewed death that way. I feel like I was guilty of too, because I had seen death so many times that like, uh, it was like, I became, um, what's the word tolerant of it. Like I just like my tolerance, desensitized. My, yeah. desensitized. Yeah, exactly. My tolerance just kept going up and up and up, you know? And, uh, so I just got to say, uh, thank you for making me even just think in a different way because no, I'm, I'm like most people out in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. Because I haven't experienced, you know, someone very, very close, you know, dying. I just and, 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 and therein lies the, the interesting aspect of it. Uh, in one of the episodes, I think it was episode four or five of the podcast, I sat down with Ty, whose brother committed suicide. And, you know, Ty's a police officer. So you can only imagine in, uh, in the L.A. area, you can only imagine the kind of things that he has seen in his 15, 16 years of being a cop. But it's not until death knocks on your door that it impacts you at that level. That's not to diminish seeing people dying or seeing a dead body. But if you don't have a, an emotional connection to that individual, to that animal, it's going to hurt, you know, hurt you. You're going to feel that, but not the same. Yeah, you're way more disconnected. Way more. Exactly. So, yeah. you know... In that episode, he was joking about how there's times where he's heard uh, other officers kind of joke about, hey, that guy's brain is like 10 feet over there. Ha, ha, ha. Well, you, and I get that. That's the, one of the ways they cope with what they're dealing mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, sure as fuck, they're not going to be joking about that if it was their spouse or their parent or their child. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, when I, you know in your book, when I was, you know, listening to it, I literally was like every single person in healthcare should, should read this book because, and, and, and like you just pointed out for the cop, because yeah, it is easy for, you know, not, a, not that people joke about like their brains hanging out in healthcare. I'm not saying that they do. Um, but it does, they, they just, they, they disconnect because you've got to cope with it. And you do yeah. need, you need those things to kind of wake you up. You need to actually put yourself in other people's shoes. Like, yeah. And like, you know, maybe those cops would joke about it, but would you really say it if the family member was right there, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, exactly. And uh, it just, it, it changed my perspective on so many things. It's like, it created like a whole synaptic pathway of how I thought about death. And uh, I really, really think that, and especially people that are, uh, there maybe a loved one's about to die or maybe they're about to die. Yeah. I think it's really, I think it'd be really, really good for them to take a listen and uh, read your book, both your books. 
Yeah, what is, and it's interesting you mentioned the the uh, for someone who is dying because one of the things when it comes to the grief end of this for 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 those left behind, uh, there's various models and and books and and kind of uh, ways of programs of you know how people are suggested to deal with grieving, which is a really broad term that encompasses a lot of specific uh, emotions and, and timelines. One of the more popular ones, I believe, is called the Kubler-Ross model. I don't know if you're yep. familiar with those. It's like the I've heard that. Five, sta- five stages of grief. What I learned is that that was originally designed for people who were dying themselves, mm-hmm. not for people left behind, not for the loved ones, but it's being applied to them too. But what they experience mm-hmm. is different. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the reasons why, you know, the podcast came about because I wanted uh, my producer Biff and I, we wanted to create a platform to allow other people to share the stories of their loved ones and what they learned from that experience. And then that's why the second book, Grimm's After Tea Desserts, goes over nine specific aspects that people may experience after their loved one dies. So they have a little bit of, of understanding that, hey, this is actually real. Someone else has experienced this. I'm not completely fucking insane. Would, would you say you went, like, how did the stages apply to you? I know you said it's different, but did, were there more stages, less stages, like, in your own experience? It's a tough one to, to, uh, to verbalize, but what I will say in, in after Angela died, um, over a handful of weeks, I, I made a commitment to honor her with nine different things, nine different honorings. Because as you may have picked up in the book, nine was her favorite number. Favorite number, yeah. So, you know, and, and one of those was having urns made, nine custom urns, which were distributed amongst people who were important to her. Uh, another one was uh, spreading her ashes, the remaining ashes, in nine of her favorite locations, mm. including the last one being Japan, which she never got to visit. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, because you guys were planning that trip. When Correct. She yeah. Correct. Now, and I bring these up because each time those honorings happened, and it took me a little over a year, year and a half to make that happen. I thought each one was going to bring quote unquote closure to make me feel more comfortable with what happened. And it didn't fucking work. Mm-hmm. I was going to say it's such a, it's such a piss, picturesque Hollywood type of ending. You know, you spread the ashes and then you're at peace finally with their death. And I don't think that exists. Nope. So when it comes to the grieving aspect, um, people, and, and, and it's actually addressed in, in, that, in that second book. I'm not trying to plug it like I'm a fucking salesman here, but it's funny because a lot of things we're discussing is covered in that. Uh, and I'll try to explain it as I do it. it. Let's imagine grief, your emotions, those stages, but instead of a list, instead of a checklist or a flow chart, where if you find yourself back at square one, you feel like a loser, you know, you get through one, two, three, four. Ah, shit, I'm back at one again. It's like a bad game of, of shoots and ladders. 
Mm-hmm. Imagine it is a wheel and it rolls and there's emotions along that wheel and it kind of rolls this way and it rolls that way. It can roll fast. It can roll uh, slow, but a wheel is too smooth. Anybody who's experienced death really closely, smoothness and consistency is <laughs> not, not yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. So take that same concept. Now apply that to a triangle. Now the triangle is a little, little harsh. It kind of tips or it falls down or it completely flops over. So we need something in between, something that can move fluidly, but not consistently. It can have a weeble and a wobble, almost like a boat in the ocean where it can teeter and totter back and forth. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with the shape, but uh, the Rouleau Triangle, otherwise known as a trillion, it's the shape used in rotary engines, for example. Okay. It looks like looks like a triangle, but there's no points or flat edges. It's all curved. Okay. So it can actually function as a wheel, but it can be a little wobbly. So it can go up one way and then down another and spin and fast and slow and all that stuff. So that shape is used to construct Grimm's compass, which is actually three of those trillions put together with emotions at each Nine emotions, one at each of the, uh, the nine points of the three pieces. So you've got these three wheels all moving inside of each other, these trillions. So it can be very chaotic. It can be all over the map. You can go from being uh, reminiscent about your loved one immediately to feeling insane and then right into feeling of woe. Of, of just utter and, and unrelenting pain. And then you can pop out the other side. There's no rhyme or reason to that, that thing people call grief. It's a fucking shit show. It is a total, total mind fuck. So that, that's a really long answer to your question in that I can't explain it because I'm still in it. There's no, no consistency to it now two plus years later after Angela's death to try to compress it into a soundbite that would people would be able to to digest. I think you're a visual guy. You said that multiple times. You're a metaphor guy. I love metaphors, visualizations. When you brought up that, you know, the the Keebler Ross method, you know, we were taught that in school, the stages of grief, which makes us feel better, right? We're like, oh, we just go through stages and we feel better, whatever. In medical community, we always like try to label everything. And like, there's a lot we don't know. And it frustrates me because, oh, so much of medicine is practicing. I'm going on a rant right now. But I was starting to think of like AA. And Mm -hmm. AA is for the member that is the drinker, the one that's addict. But they also have Al-Anon, right? Which is for the family. So I'm wondering if that's an area... That should be explored more. I don't know enough about it, but you know, you being more of an expert in dealing with it and this being your passion, I don't know. That might be something to look into. Like, what are what are the stages of grief from your point of view? And may, I don't know. That's just something I thought of. There, there are plenty of of various grief support groups uh, out there. Uh, what and, and it's usually kind of you know who died is the the topic. So let's say it's a spouse 
who's died or a child who's died. Um, Renee, one of the, one of the guests I had on the podcast, uh, her child died two hours after being born. So, you know, there would be a specific kind of community out there for people who have experienced a, a young child dying. But I think just even the framework of it being considered stages doesn't do it justice. I think people may manage and mitigate what they're feeling better, realizing that it is a fluid ever moving, ever evolving part of their life from that point forward. Hmm. It sucks um, because people would like to just, you know, check the box and move on. But I, I just don't think that's, that is the right approach because that's the approach that people have been trying to use for the last 10, 20, 50 years. And look where the fuck we are. Mm -hmm. Time, time to try something a little different. Did you, did you ever use, or did you ever attend like a, like a support group like that? A grief group? Uh, none of, uh, no to the grief group. I had one, we'll call it counseling session with, I believe she was a psychologist okay. uh, after Angela died. And, and as I mentioned in the podcast, and it was the one with Chris Bell when Chris came on to talk about Mad Dog. Uh, that was episode eight, I believe. Uh, I went to this lady to have her agree that the cat and the dog who Angela had are support animals as part of the lease here in California. If you, if they're support animals, it changes the rent and all that stuff. Um, so I did have one session with her. She asked me if I wanted to do another one. And I simply replied that I think my time is better suited doing the type of work that I'm doing now listening to people than just talking about what happened with Angela, if that makes any sense. Well, you also yeah. are, you're basically leading uh, like a grief support group almost, right? Not a, you know, a regular one oh, or yeah, whatever you want to call it, but your podcast is what it is. It's right? a community. Mm -hmm. Correct. And there's been plenty of people from all over the world who upon coming across the book or listening to the podcast uh, via social media have reached out and shared their stories. Yeah, I think that's and a really important thing is uh, is that people can get your book. And if someone has experienced something similar to that effect, not that you just find like comfort in it, but it's that like what you're doing, you have this mission to honor her, you know, and they can pick up their own sword and, and find their own mission with that loss. And we should, as a society, going back to the broad spectrum of this, not only do we need to be understanding the reality of our own mortality, of, of understanding and accepting death at a much higher level, we also need to do a better fucking job of honoring the dead. Mm -hmm. Honoring the people who have come before us, who have helped us get to where we are. Now, don't get me wrong. There's people who would die and they're total dicks and they don't deserve to be mentioned ever again. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. What is up with funerals? Everyone be like, he was such a nice guy. No, he was a piece of shit. That's yeah. what he was. Yeah. And what changed that he died? No, he's a piece of shit. Call it what it is. You know? Exactly. Oh. Um, but, there, you know, it, for, for me, that, the, that person is Angela. You know, for who she was and what we had and what she meant to me specifically and meant to so many other people, that is something that I believe is important to, to keep.
keep alive to share with others as well as the lessons learned after that. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I wouldn't know her story, you know, your story. I wouldn't know any of that unless you went on this mission and wrote this book and started your podcast. So, I mean, it's, it is working. I mean, you don't need me, you don't need me to tell you that, but it's working, you know, mm-hmm. it's a need, but yeah. it, it means a lot to hear it. It validates the, what I'm trying to do. Um, there's no end to it. There no, never will be. And, I'm, and that's, you know, and that's like the whole reason, you know, we started our podcast is just to take, we've all heard people talk and tell stories and we're all living the human experience. And that's kind of like the mission of this podcast is just to put out these stories, put out this, some, this thing that people can relate to and find strength in, you know, and, and that's why, I mean, like I said, I'll say it again, we're like just super honored that you, you know, you wanted to come on and talk um, because what everything you have to offer is just, it's so powerful and relatable to, to so many. To everybody. Uh, at one yeah. point. Every, everybody, everybody is, is going to have to face this one way or another at some point. Yeah. You know, they always, the, the old saying of death and taxes. Well, we know a lot of fucking people who don't pay the tax. There's all kinds of people out there cheating away, which. Oh, yeah. Everyone in Puerto Rico. <laughs> regular Joe's are cheating. You know, like every, all of us are. You know what yeah. I mean? A little bit. I know how to get out of them. <laughs> I would. <laughs> hey, there might even be a couple of politicians out there doing oh, things not yeah, supposed to. Maybe one or two. <laughs> so that leaves death as the end game as the last thing that we all have in common. And I just, I know, I know it'll probably never, ever happen, but to have a a group of people, a society, a community who understands the reality of it and the value of it. If you do not value death, how the fuck can you value life? Mm -hmm. It's two sides of the same coin. You know, people are like, oh, I love my Starbucks. Shut the fuck up. It's coffee. Yeah, yeah exactly. If, if that coffee got taken away, you would find something else. Now, if your partner or your parent or your best friend got fucking taken, you're not replacing them. Mm-hmm. And you need to understand that that is going to happen. It's not an if. It is a guarantee. Those people are going to fucking die. Mm-hmm. The question is when. And how are you going to value them while they're still here? Yeah. And I think, you know, a part of what I, you know, even titled this is we're talking about death and dying, but we're also talking about love. And I think, you know, a big part of death is it's so interconnected to love. And like we Mm -hmm. said earlier, it's like, yeah, if you're that cop and you see someone who's dead in the street or whatever, you know, you didn't, you don't know that person, you don't love them. It's just, you know, you accept it for what it is, but if it's a loved one, it radically changes all of it. And so, I mean, you had, a, you had a quote at the end of your book that said, uh, at, the wo- at the worst moment in our lives, we talked like we always had, honestly and hopelessly in love. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the most impactful sentences of the book because I just thought about that. I'm like, you're bringing in that moment. But in that moment, you can't help but talk about love because mm-hmm. it's so interconnected with death. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And everyone, like you said, everyone experiences death and another powerful emotion that if not, you know, we all want to experience or need to experience is love. I, I wanted, you know, go ahead. 
Oh, oh, well, go ahead because yours is more related to what he was about to say. Go ahead. <laughs> I already what know I it. Gonna, I already know it. What I was going to say is, and, and this is a really common theme uh, when speaking with people who have had death touch them closely, is for those who have really kind of sat in it, who have really purposely, consciously chosen to spend a lot of time thinking about their loved one, thinking about their life, thinking about their death, start to finish and everything in between, they always come out the other side of that small experience of, of, of being in it and facing it versus running away. They always come out stronger and they always come out more loving. Because how could you not? How can you not be incredibly impacted by the death of someone so important. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you, people, people who, who have, you know, had someone taken and they, nothing's changed. They act the same. They talk the same. They, you know, they live the same. Guaranteed. They haven't faced shit. They're burying it. They're putting it up on a shelf somewhere. They're trying to ignore it because they're afraid. But those other people who jump into the deep end of the pool feels like drowning but when they get out they are again quoting my brother arch again i I talk about him a lot and he hates it even admitting this he's a better man now than when his wife shelly was alive Mm -hmm. and that's a that's a hard thing to reconcile but it's it's a truth how could you not be we uh, talked about this in a previous episode. We haven't even released it yet. Uh, the only time I've ever really felt grief in my entire life wasn't due to death. It was actually because uh, m- my uh, ex-wife decided to, you know, seek for love outside of the marriage, and it was with a good friend. And it, she ended up, you know, getting into a relationship. They're still they're engaged now, actually. So, you know, that was very hard for me at first. You know, it was. And, but I will say this, I've told people so many times that I don't regret it at all because I'm a better man, me going through that hardship. And just mm-hmm. like you said, I faced it full on, man. Like it is incredible. I could have filled up a bucket with the amount of tears I cried, you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt like, especially in society now, uh, it, especially as a man, you don't, it's not to, you don't want to face your emotions. You know, it's just like, you know what, who cares? Just go through it and just go through throughout your day. But I'll tell you this. I felt like I got, you know, it's like I, that instead of it being just an open festering wound that just stayed open, it was able to scar a little bit. Like I knew it was there. It's there. I, there's no, yep. it's like I accepted that that trauma happened, but it, what it didn't, consume my life because I dove in and I, I felt every feeling and I thought just, you know, it was, it was terrible, but I mm-hmm. totally understand what he's saying. Cause I feel like a better man. I feel stronger. I appreciate the people in my life more. I appreciate my own life more, honestly. Yep. Just, and it, it, once you go through those hardships, you know, I, I would never wish it on anybody, but it's like, you have, you do have an opportunity to, to really excel, like to, I don't know what it is. It's like, you know how bad it can get. So just a regular day is a beautiful, beautiful day. It, there is power in that. There is strength in that. So when you're able to control it and it not control you, it changes the dynamic. Mm-hmm. 
you know, for example, this bizarro little world we're all living in right now with the COVID-19 virus, the pandemic, yeah. it is amazing to me to watch those people. And it, it's clear as day, the people who have not necessarily faced something like this or more apropos to our conversation, faced death one-on-one, mm-hmm. -on -one, they're freaking the fuck out. Oh, trust me. Oh, big time. Yeah. They're oh. losing their shit over everything. Then there's people who have been through the wood chipper, a term I uh, used to honor Angela's, one of her favorite movies, Fargo. Oh, great movie. <laughs> that is a good movie. <laughs> when you go through the wood chipper and then you face something like this, you're like, fuck off. Yeah, oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're you're kind of like you know what? You, it's like that fear isn't there. You're like, okay, I'm gonna wash my hands more often, and I'll be more careful. But I'm not gonna fucking freak out like everyone else is. And I am not going to alter my life to the point where it's no longer life. Oh, I know. And what's sad is the majority of people are, and the media is yeah, not exactly helping. Well, and then they try to shame you. You know. Yeah. And that's they. I mean, the media made up the best tactic ever. They just got everyone to shame each other, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which you know, I while the media has its 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 burden and blame, again, it goes back to the people. People mm, have true. allowed have allowed outside forces to control them through fear. Yes, 100%. whether whether we're talking about this particular scenario or just in what was or may well again be normal life. For me, and I don't want this, to, it's not meant to sound bravado-ish or, or anything like that, but I, there's, I can't think of anything that I'm afraid of. The worst fucking thing happened to me already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, you think about that. I mean, your whole life, your mission is about death and then you've already experienced, I mean, the worst thing imaginable. Yeah. What, what's, what's left purpose. Yeah. You talked about that. I remember you're like, my purpose was Angela Yeah. and it's gone. Well, let's, let's talk COVID. What's the worst thing that's going to happen with COVID you'll die, but mm -hmm. it's still extremely low. The risk, like, you know, if you're healthy, you're probably not going to die from it. You know, there, you can wash your hands more. There's not much you can actually do about it. Yeah. You know, you just be the healthiest person you can, but people are freaking out. It's like the same thing with driving. You know, you can wear a seatbelt, which is smart, but you know, if you're going to die in a car accident and it's meant to happen, that seatbelt ain't saving. You. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, as written in the first book, you know, and discussed about uh, on a number of other podcasts, I personally, and this goes back to something we were talking about earlier, I personally would much rather have my existence my death in my own hands mm -hmm. than not. Meaning if Corona is going to take me, so be it. If I'm going to take my own life, so be it. You know, it's, I, I see no difference because the end is inevitable. It's just a matter of how much control I have over it. But what I am not willing to do is to sacrifice the things that I have deemed important to me, they may not mean shit to anybody else. And that's cool. But my life is my life. And I am not going to give up those things. And by things, I mean how I conduct myself, my beliefs, what I value. I am not willing to give those up to extend my life 
so I can have more quantity at the cost of quality. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, was, I was thinking about it today, how like my least favorite thing of COVID-19 pandemic right now is just like not feeling a hundred percent comfortable with the people I love because I'm like, are they, I can, or I can feel they're uncomfortable because like, Oh, mm-hmm. is, does Anthony have it? Is he going to get me sick or whatever? That is, to me is the worst where I'm just like, guys, like it's, they're talking about like 80% of the people are probably going to get it anyways. It's, and even if it does that happen, you know, it's like, so it's like, you really aren't going to prevent it, but let's still live our life. Let's be a little bit more careful. But why do you have to have that fear? Why do you have to, you know, be so effective people, on the emotional level? Because people are afraid of suffering and they're afraid of death. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. If you want it, it, that would be the number one. Like, you could add, oh, I'm afraid of spiders, or I'm afraid of dogs, or I'm afraid of clowns. We could have a really long list. But the number one would be death. And I believe that stems from two key things. One, the unknown of it. Mm-hmm. And we'll make it three things. The unknown and the suffering. We'll put those in there. But then the other part of it is regret. Mm-hmm. People have such a long list of regrets that they're pushing off because they believe they have more time. And if they were to die, they wouldn't have gotten to do this or gotten to do that or have said this or said that. But they never have death on their radar, so those things just keep falling by the wayside. Instead yeah. of taking, taking the approach of, hmm, it's Thursday, tomorrow Friday is my last Friday ever. Yeah. That, I mean, that's why the thought experiment is always, well, if you're on your deathbed, think about this. It's like, well, we are on our deathbed. We're living it (laughs) every day, man. Every day you're dying. (laughs) Yes. One of my favorite, uh, not even one of my favorite, this was my favorite assignment in college. It was, uh, we had to write our own eulogy. So you are, you know, like you're standing above your own casket. Your, you know, your wife steps up on the podium. What is she going to say? Your son steps up. What are they going to say? You know, your friend, your neighbor, are there going to be people in the crowd? You know, <laughs> what, based, off the, based off the way you live, you know, and it yep. made me, and like you said it earlier, you know, like, how can you talk about life if you're not talking about death? That changed my, when you, when I thought about my own death, it made me, like you said, like, uh, what'd you say? Uh, reverse engineer, like, okay, well, wow, I guess these things aren't important to me because I know I'm not going to care what my son says about like, oh yeah, my dad made millions doing this. I don't want my son to talk about that. No, I want him yeah. to know that I'm this, I'm a loving, I don't even have a son, by the way. I'm just saying like a future yep. son, you know? Uh, no, that my dad was kind and he was loving and he was a, a fighter and he taught me so many things, you know? And by think it, like, I agree with you. I'm so glad you're doing this where you're making people think about death because- it, it can change your life today by thinking mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. But only if you have the courage to listen to other people's stories and the courage to have the conversation with the people who matter. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it, it ain't easy. I can't count the number of people who've said, you know, I tried to have a conversation with my mom and she got all weird. I'm like, yeah, I, no, no doubt. Yeah. Guess what? There will come a day where you can't have that conversation. So mm-hmm. keep fucking pushing. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. You got, I mean, well, that's the thing, man. It's like, it's going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So you might as well, like I, you know, to reference earlier, like build those calluses, get familiar with that discomfort. 
because it's going to happen. And, and people, you know, they shy away from it because it's so uncomfortable. But in reality, you'll be able to live your life even more full and more beautiful because you've accepted your fate. Yep. It's like if, if your fate is like if you I mean, even think about immortality. Like how no cool would anything be if like yeah. you just lived forever? No one would. Hey, we, we've all seen that play out. It's called Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray. He tries to kill himself like countless times until he realizes <laughs> what's really important. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, or, or you get like vampire movies where you just bang and drink every day forever until you get tired of banging the high school out. You know, like yeah. that's, that's what they do and they just become drunks because there's nothing else to do. There's nothing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Exactly. There, there is a great amount of value uh, in having these conversations and coming to the admittance, the, 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 the realization that your time here as an individual is infinite. Now, if you believe in afterlife and, and reincarnation and all that horseshit, cool. But you don't have proof of that. You don't have a ticket, the golden ticket to make that happen. So let's just deal with what we know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Is you have a fixed amount of time. You don't know how much, but you have a fixed amount of time. So, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, it's uh, you know, I heard on another podcast someone bring up this this idea. People talk about heaven and how amazing the afterlife is, or heaven, and all these things that a lot of people believe in. And so you just you almost wash over your whole life here on earth, just daydreaming about about this heaven or something like that, and. He, you know, the guy who was doing the podcast was like, yeah, but I think the magic's here. Like you're alive here. Like you're on earth, man. Like, like this is well, where it's happening. Like this is where life is as we know it right now. Well, when you look at a, the differences in dimensions, meaning if you look at a one dimensional object, a two dimensional object, a three dimensional object, that's just really perspectives, you know, and, 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 and what is a shadow of something else. So building on what you said, what if what we are in here is heaven? Yeah, honestly. What if we, what we have here is hell? It doesn't matter because we don't fucking know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> I know. Quit wasting, wasting what time you do have here on that bullshit. Mm-hmm. So until Morpheus rolls in and you, know, you get to take the, the red pill... You, you, you can't go to the other side some magical way with remembering everything. So just stop. Just stop wasting your time and really try to enjoy what matters to you here and now. Because I guarantee there's going to be a moment when it's going to be fucking ripped away from you and it's going to drive you mad. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're not prepared. Yes. Well, Derek, I think uh, I just got to say thank you, man. I mean, we've been on an hour and 40 minutes, roughly. I just want to say, like, what, what, what practical advice could you give to someone that recently dealt with a very close death? Like, some practical things they could do. Like, leaving on that. The, the first, I can't even say that. There's a couple of things. Um, one would be, if you want an ear, reach out. Reach out to me or reach out to somebody you know uh, or a group or something just so you're not feeling alone in it. They can't say or do anything that's magically going to make it better. 
but knowing that there's someone else out there willing to listen means uh, will mean a tremendous amount. The next part is understanding that everything that's going through your head is, I hate to use the word because it's a shit word, but normal. Mm. No matter what's going with, no matter what you're thinking or feeling, it's legit. It has value. You're not insane, no matter how much it may feel like you are. Because I guarantee someone else has gone through something similar. But because as a society, we don't share those conversations, it doesn't get discussed. You know, for example, and small tangent, there have been a number of caregivers that I have spoken to, people who have taken care of loved ones or maybe do so professionally. And many at some point or another have thought or said something derogatory to the person they're caring for. One of the worst being, I wish you would die already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, hearing that from the outside, it's like, holy fuck, you deserve to burn in hell. You, that's the worst thing you could ever say or do. But the, the, the thing to understand is those words are just the frustration at the situation, the frustration at the disease. It's not about that person. They just don't know any other way of, of coping. So that kind of thought or any other thought is not abnormal when someone close to you has been suffering and has died. Hmm. And also, I guess the last thing would be to understand that the only timeline on this is your own. If if it's six months or six years, it doesn't fucking matter. That's you. Do not listen or accept someone else's timeline of, oh, you should be better by now. Fuck them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. They have no say in this. Your partner, your children, your relatives, your co none of those people have any fucking say in how you experience that person's death. Hundred percent. You call you call the shots on that because uh, there's going to be a lot of fucking people who are probably with good intentions trying to help, and you're going to want to stab them in the face. <laughs> yes. Or just you know you hear that cliche of people being like you know you need to move on. It's like who the hell are you? Uh huh. Said by someone who's never experienced what you've experienced. Yeah. Those are usually the loudest voices, right? Are not the experts or, you know, people that act like they are. Yeah. Armchair, armchair quarterback. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, um, so where can uh, people reach you at, Derek? Well, uh, the website is teatimewiththereaper.com. Uh, the podcast, Tea Time with the Reaper. Uh, Instagram is usually where I do most social media uh, interaction although I do post to Twitter and Facebook as well, but on IG, that's also Tea Time with the Reaper. So that was the, the name of the original book. Now, the second one is Grimm's After Tea Desserts, but that's, also, that's all connected through all those same websites and, and users, uh, usernames I just listed off. 
Uh, people can make a comment. They can send me a DM. They can send me an email. It, it doesn't really matter. I'm more than happy to to listen to anyone who's you know trying to navigate this road that they didn't want to be on. Yeah, and so I would say to anybody who's listening to this right now, if you if you are going through any kind of related you know pain or torment or situation experience, I would say go ahead and reach out to uh, to Derek through uh, all those means he just said. I would also say to buy his book, buy this book. And if you're in, like Anthony said, if you're a healthcare worker, especially buy this book and read it because it's so, it just, it just gives you such a human perspective of pain and, and death and how, you know, people just by their own action can really change the trajectory of someone's life. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Derek, this is Anthony here, and I wanted to thank you, man. It was, it was fun talking with you. Learned a lot about myself and uh, about uh, the future and about death, of course. So I appreciate it. Guys, Anthony, Eric, Frank, I cannot thank you enough for being open to, to talking about this. Like I said in the beginning, it's one of those things that people don't want to talk about, yet it's the only thing they should be talking about, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Everything. everything Everything else stems from it. Yes, 100%. So uh, to anyone listening, just go ahead and you can find this podcast on uh, Podbean, Apple, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at jacked underscore podcast. Find uh, Derek McCormick, uh, his book you can get on Amazon, Tea Time with the Reaper, and his new book. Uh, what was that, Grimm's? Grimm's After Tea Desserts. After Tea Desserts. Yeah, I saw that. I saw you sharing that on Instagram. I was like, that's really good. Yeah, because, you know, death, for those who, uh, those who are left behind, death is just the beginning. And I, I just want to say thanks, man. It's Frank over here. I butted in every once in a while. Um, I just really appreciate your perspective and getting down to real talk, which is what we need in all aspects of life right now, which is what we're missing. But um, I do like uh, ending the show with a quote. And I tried to research one that would be really good for this episode. And it's very simple, but it just says, you'll never be the same and that's okay. Yep. Oh, that's perfect. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, thank you, Derek. And um, I'm looking forward to maybe doing some more stuff with you, man. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Right, Take Have care. A good one. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye, later.